Hello and welcome to The Found Cause, where we found our cause and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And over the airwaves, it is... Theodore, under the PC, under and the person of Christ. The astute viewer will notice we once again have special guests on. Theodore is a friendly man, and maybe too friendly, and has been out searching the town and talking especially with these three Mormons um, and others that are around our area in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. So um, before I go on... How would you guys like to, are you going to give yourselves a brief introduction? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having us on. Um, yeah, we're the missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, we have spent two years of our life to come out here to Minnesota to talk to people about Jesus Christ. He's kind of our number one guy. We want to make sure everyone can gain access to all the things that God has in store for them. And that's kind of what we do. So we pay our own way. and We move out here for two years and we live in different areas and live with different people. We serve, we teach, we pray, we go to church. It's a pretty wonderful experience. One of the key things we do is we just meet with people and we invite them. We share what we believe and we just invite them to change and invite them to partake of the goodness of the gospel. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great learning experience. Um, I've been able to change um, a lot on my mission. I've been able to grow you know, more into a man, uh, learning more about the gospel and how it's truly changed my life. And so I'm Elder Dahl. Yep. My name's Elder Putnam. And then I'm Elder McGibbon. Well, nice to meet you all. Thank you for the introductions. Uh, any longtime viewer of The Found Cause and our podcast would know that um, we strongly believe we have different Gospels, which is one of the things we're going to explore today in this discussion. Theodore's got some questions cooked up. Um, for background, Sebastian is like uh, our local Greek Hebrew kind of professor guy. No Hebrew. We, Subtract the Hebrew <laughs> from there. Just every, Greek. Every language. He'll do Chinese for you if you want. Um, <laughs> uh, so he's kind of the bookworm resource. I'm just the guy with the mic. But Theodore is our thinker. So I'm going to pass it to Theodore, who wanted to talk just on some some base level things. Because uh, I think the first time we met with you, Austin, and a couple others in person, um, we did a responsibility discussion about it. And one of the main talking points uh, amongst many was um, one of our few definitely common ground things and that is um, the bible and we take just the bible as holy scripture and the mormon church of course has additional scriptures um, but theodore i'll let you take this because i'm talking too much okay and also michael and sebastian let me know if you want to alter this this uh just i'm sure I working will. I'm kind definition. Of a mm -hmm. <laughs> okay <laughs> but so we're discussing sola scriptura so i thought i would throw out uh, some definition that we can discuss. Um, and I was thinking scripture alone is the sufficient, predominant, fundamental authority of faith. Does that sound okay with you, Michael and Sebastian? It's okay with us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Would you and say then, that it's the final authority? Um, yeah. You could substitute predominant or fundamental for final, I guess. It's okay. a sufficient, predominant, that. fundamental, final authority of faith. Okay. And then I can give some scriptures that, or some scriptures from the Bible um, to back that. Um, so Acts 17.11 says the Bereans were noble-minded because they searched, or yeah, because they received the word and examined the scriptures daily to, ter to determine whether what Paul and Silas said was true. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says, do not go beyond what is written, i.e. do not add rituals, philosophies, various heavens or levels of righteousness or any works or requirements that would add uh, to the various 
or to imputed righteousness, uh, the imputed righteousness of Christ, um, that would give cause for like, boasting or partiality. Um, Mark 7 and Isaiah, Mark 7, verse 7, Isaiah 29, uh, verse 13 say, They worship me in vain. Their fear toward me is taught by precept of men. Their reverence consists of tradition learned by rote and man made ritual. Uh, 2 Peter 3, 15 to 17. I'm almost done. Just one more after this. <laughs> Uh, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some of uh, some things hard to understand, which um, the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, implying that what uh, Peter was writing was, or what Paul was writing, was scriptural. Um, and then Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Um, and then this is also written and expounded upon again in Peter, um, in 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the mm -hmm. word that was preached to you. So. That would be our backing for Sola Scriptura. Um, but then, do you want to say anything regarding yeah. that? We would love to kind of just talk about what Scripture is, because we have a great respect for Scripture. In fact, almost everything we know is from Scripture. But when we think of Scripture, we don't think of Bible, because the Bible is 66 texts that we would determine our Scripture. Um, but there's lots more scripture that's been revealed, and that's kind of a unique thing about our religion is we're led by a modern prophet today, and prophets in the past have brought forth scripture and spoken scripture. So I kind of wanted to just throw out a definition of scripture as we continue to discuss. Um, in one of our books of scripture, the Doctrine and Covenants, there's some verses that talk about scripture. It says, um, and this is an, the example unto them, that they shall speak as they are moved upon by the Holy Ghost. And whatsoever they shall speak when moved upon by the Holy Ghost shall be scripture, shall be the will of the Lord, shall be the mind of the Lord, shall be the word of the Lord, shall be the voice of the Lord, and the power of God unto salvation. So when we view scripture, we view anything that was spoken by the Holy Ghost, that was inspired of God. But we don't view scripture as the final authority. We believe that God is the final authority, that he can speak outside of scripture. And so... The scriptures, we believe, are all inspired by the same spirit, and so you won't find any contradictions between them. But we don't believe that they're closed, that God can continue to reveal things to his children on the earth. Okay. Can I, I, I really like your definition, or at least the, the church's definition there of what scripture is, just to rehearse what you already God's just said. God's definition, yeah. God's definition. Uh, when you, so you would agree that scripture does not contradict itself? Scripture does not contradict itself. Um, I mean, I would say in a perfect world where everyone could interpret the scriptures and knew exactly all the context, it would not contradict itself. Right, so the, but that the being true said, scripture is different things written to different people at different times. So because God has spoken one word doesn't mean he can't speak another. And so if he tells one people that they need to perform circumcision in order to be saved, and he tells another people they don't need to, we don't view that as a contradiction. We believe that he speaks to us today and has different requirements for us than he has for people in the past. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we would also, uh, Christians would also say that the Lord has fulfilled the law, um, portions of the law have been fulfilled. But we would both agree that 
the, the same Lord gave the law back then. It's not a different Lord. He hasn't changed. He, he gave the law because it was good. And then he has a better plan now, but it's still good. It's not like it was bad that he gave the law back then. Are we in agreement there? Right. It was a schoolmaster to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the last sacrifice for our sins. Well, I hope it wasn't a schoolmaster to Christ, but uh, to us. Um, then, so we're both on the same page. The scripture does not contradict itself when properly interpreted. Are we both in agreement there? Um, yes. And if, if we, I'm just, this is not some trap. I'm just you know, I'm trying to get us on the same basis. Um, and if the words of God that we hear today, they are scripture. So if we hear the words of God today, that would be considered scripture. Are we aligned there? So if someone spoke as they're moved upon by the Holy Ghost and had authority from God, we call that person a prophet. That's mm -hmm. what they do. If they're inspired and then they produce writings that are, we also could use the second Timothy, profitable for learning and for reproof and for instruction and in righteousness. Mm -hmm. Then those things are scripture, yes. But for example, if I say something that's really clever, I wouldn't call it scripture because I'm not the prophet of God. Right. Even though, in theory, we all have the Holy Spirit living within us, um, we wouldn't just consider our, our generally Holy Spirit-helped phraseology scripture. Am I, am I right there? Yeah. So we believe everyone that receives the gift of the Holy Ghost by proper authority, by being baptized and receiving it by the laying on of hands, like we read about in Acts, then they would have access to the Holy Ghost as a constant companion. But even that access would not allow them to produce scripture because the revelation we receive from the Holy Ghost doesn't go beyond our own stewardship or jurisdiction. So the Holy Ghost will never tell me that God's church should go in a specific direction because I am not his prophet. But he would say that to the prophet who holds the keys of God to direct all of his work on the church, on the earth today. Mm-hmm. And, and now you, you'll see, and Dieter, I don't want to steal your thunder, and maybe Sebastian, you want to comment too, but you might see where Protestants, where Christians um, are wary of that position because um, we would also say that just because I think I, I'm, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit and I, I think I know something via the Holy Spirit, um, it's far cry from saying, I think I'm led to believe from saying like, God saith this word. And so we don't hold the the words of men past the 66 books to be scripture, even if we believe they're spirit-inspired because um, we're not positive, whereas the scriptures, we are positive, they're founded, they're tested, whereas, you know, um, Beth Moore or name anybody that might be speaking in the name of God may be wrong. And so you say, normally, people would be fallible, wrong, except for the prophet, and we would, we would argue that's no. a dangerous position. We don't believe any scripture, any writings of a prophet is infallible. Anything that goes through a human being is fallible. And God, that's kind of the miracle of God, is he can use all of these broken people, all these pieces that don't seem to fit, and somehow make something great out of it. And that's kind of why we love God, why we worship him, because he worked through us fallible human beings to bring to pass his glory. I just, so one of the things I, that... Oh, sorry, Sebastian, you can go. Yeah, I did have just a question to make sure if, I, if I'm misunderstanding. So would a... I don't know if I misunderstood you... Uh, on the a prof perhaps I understood it as saying a prophet could uh, speak infallibly. I don't, I don't know if I misunderstood that part. No, a prophet does not speak infallibly, but he does speak authoritatively. Got it. So if the prophet speaks, we follow the prophet. And if the prophet is wrong, he will bear that burden. We will be blessed for obeying the prophet because okay. he has been chosen by God. Okay. 
would there be a way to know when the prophet is wrong or right? Um, way to know when the prophet is wrong or right. Probably if the next prophet says, yeah, the previous prophet was wrong, that'd be the best way to know. So we see that like in the New Testament, right? Peter and Paul have lots of disagreements. Who is right? You know, we don't really look at it that way, that one's right and one's wrong. They were both inspired, both men chosen of God, that sometimes had disagreements about how things should move forward. And that's okay. That's how life is. Well, ultimately it's okay because the Lord is sovereign and is doing it every once, but we would say that Paul was right and Peter was wrong. Would you disagree? Would you think, do you think Peter was right in rejecting the Gentiles? Um, no, I don't think he was right. So, but I do think that he was the prophet of God. And so I think that he, he was thought, a apostle, but he was fallible, which we both agree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but his, let's get his back work was not true. Term. Like when he, when he rejected the Gentiles and didn't sit with them, didn't eat with them and kept kosher, he was wrong. He wasn't right until he was wrong. He was wrong when he did it. Do, do you disagree? Right. But if I went up to Peter and Peter said, hey, don't eat with the Gentiles, I would say, okay, you are the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to obey you, even though I think you're wrong. And then God would continue to bring forth his righteousness and correct by having Paul write a letter to Peter or whatever, you know, um, I may have missed, but, and then it would be established. But my job is to follow the prophet. My job isn't to correct the prophet because I'm not in stewardship above him. He's where, where do you get that principle? Is it from scripture? Or is it just from logic? Where do you get that principle that you're not, um, you're not culpable, you're not culpable for following a false teacher? Yeah, so we would cite like Amos talks about, surely the Lord God will do nothing, save he revealed his secrets to the servants, his servants, the prophets. We believe that whether by the mouth of God or the mouth of his servants, it's the same, that he uses men to kind of be his mouthpiece on the earth. Okay, so I'm going to give you a hypothetical. Maybe you, you'll tell me how you dress it. And Theodore, again, I don't want to steal your time. Uh, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, we both know the stories in the Old Testament of Elijah, right? Prophet, speaking of prophets, right? Elijah's a prophet in Israel. I know Elijah, yeah. I mean, and I'm not like, super familiar. I haven't studied him today or anything. Uh, it's, I'm not going to quiz you on Elijah, but he uh, is a prophet to Israel. And Israel at the time was worshiping not God. And God sends Elijah into the northern kingdom of Israel to prophesy against King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. You know the story? Perhaps? No, let's read it. Well, you can go to Second Kings if you like. Um, Could you give a recap? I can just give you a recap. <laughs> he okay, said, the Lord sends him in and he is doing a contest of gods. And you have the Israelites' current fake god, Baal is um, fighting against the true God and the way they're going to fight and Elijah is going to prove that the true God is the true God is they both set up altars, big, big fire, so fire altars. And the true God is going to bring down fire on their respective altar and show that they're true and the other one is false. And so, I love this yeah, and Elijah has all the, the prophets of Baal go first and they are crying out, they're prophesying, they're crying out, they're cutting themselves, they're doing all sorts of things to try to evoke Baal to to bring down fire on his altar, and he does not, of course. And then Elijah pours water all over his altar. He digs a moat and puts water in there. He does everything so that this is like an impossible thing to light on fire. And then he prays to God once, and immediately fire comes from heaven and burns it up. How would you, so the question to you is, that happened. And the prophets of Israel were claiming to speak for God, but clearly they were not because they worshiped false God. How would you in Israel 
um, be able to tell when those prophets were false even before Elijah came because you would have been culpable for worshiping a false god um, even if those prophets had told you that it was true. Like, how, how would you have avoided guilt under those prophets? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so those false prophets you're saying. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit different, right? Because it's more the priests of Baal. They don't have a prophetic structure, but I, I understand the, the situation. So today we have a prophet. All throughout time, God has spoken through prophets. But the way we know that a prophet is sent from God is by really studying who they are and what they say. And so we as missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Saints, we believe in the prophet. And we believe he's a prophet, and that's our own choice. We can't force anyone else to believe in the prophet. But since we choose to believe that he's a prophet, it is our job to sustain him until we have enough evidence to prove otherwise, right? So if, yeah, some Protestants or some Catholics said, hey, you know, our God's going to burn this massive thing on fire, then maybe that would be enough evidence to get us to not believe in our prophet. But... That's not really how we see God working. We believe he wants us to walk by faith while we're here on this earth. He wants us to choose according to our best knowledge and information, according to the blessings that we see in other people's lives, to follow him how we see fit. We believe that all men can worship God however they want. It's in one of our articles of faith. Yeah. Would you agree, though, that is something that's also in the Mormon articles of faith, um, that there are many false prophets and false professors on the earth? That's not in Articles of Faith, but um, that there are many false prophets. Yeah, that was prophesied by Jesus Christ that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. There are lots of false prophets and false teachers. It's interesting that he identifies false prophets. He doesn't say there will be no more prophets. He says there will be many false prophets, implying that there must be some true prophets. And prophecy is a gift, so we would agree that prophecy can happen. Yeah, prophecy is a gift of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so if you agree then that there are false prophets, and of course the first vision of Joseph Smith has, has the Lord saying and the angel Moroni saying that there are many false professors and that the whole church has become corrupt. Um, so you would agree that there no. are many false professors claiming the name of Christ that aren't Christian. No, no. So this is kind of what I wanted to get to. I'm glad you brought this up. So Joseph Smith goes into a grove of trees as a young boy with a question. He wants to know which church is true. Kind of this question you've kind of been dancing around a little bit, right? How do we know what's true? How do we know if prophets are correct? How do we know if the church has been restored? All of these things. That's how Joseph felt. He wanted to know for himself. So he went into a grove of trees. Most specifically, he wanted to know how he could be saved. He said, you know, everyone's telling me salvation's a big deal. I need to do things while I'm here on earth to be saved. I need to be a part of this church or that church. I need to figure this out. And he goes and he prays. And when he does, at first a a great darkness comes upon him. And then as he exerts all of his power to call upon God, he's delivered and he sees a pillar of light. And that pillar of light descends. And within the pillar, he sees God the Father and Jesus Christ. And they answer his question. They say that he should join none of them, that their creeds are an abomination is what he says Jesus Christ does. So it's interesting that he identifies the creeds because the creeds is kind of where sola scriptura comes from. If I'm correct on that, it's a later evolution of the church. Would you agree with that? Well, they are, the creeds speak about sola scriptura, but we don't get solus, the principle from the creeds. I mean, uh, believing in scripture alone has been a tradition since 
the concept of scripture. Really? So you're saying Moses, when he wrote the first five books of Moses, said, don't listen to me, the prophet, listen to the books of, or the Ten Commandments that were written by the finger of the Lord. All the laws I give you are not authoritative, but the scriptures are. The scriptures, he was Moses speaking time. scriptures, just as Paul spoke scriptures, but only when he spoke scriptures, of course, only when he spoke in the name of the Lord. But you said it was the final authority. So it can't be the final authority if he was speaking scripture. He was adding uh, to scripture. I, I think you misunderstand final authority then. Final authority only means that if we have a dispute, um, the ultimate way to resolve the dispute is scripture. There's no higher authority than scripture because it is it is God. Oh, right? gotcha. So you would include all of scripture within that, not just Bible. Well, the Bible is scripture. So, And if, if you're claiming other writings are scripture well then they should be equally authoritative yes good okay wonderful so the idea of sola scriptura is not found within the biblical texts well of Would course it is and like you should add nothing to this law of course there was no other laws that were allowed to be added to israel when the law was given down um it, it the the concept that god's word is final is is in scripture and we know scripture is god's word so Therefore, sola scriptura. Therefore, scripture is the final authority. Okay, so God's word is scripture, and scripture is God's word. Uh -huh. Good. So if a prophet comes after a period, right? Let's say Noah says, I'm a prophet. I'm supposed to build a boat, and I'm gonna. there's going to be a big flood. How do you know if Noah is a prophet of God? That is a great question. Look, we're like on the same page here. Well, we know from Deuteronomy, actually, the test of a prophet. The Lord tells us how to test a prophet. And that is, if a prophet should speak a prophecy that does not come to pass, he's spoken in vain, thinking he knew God's will and did not, and you should pay him no heed, don't fear him, and in fact, you should stone him to death. <laughs> so that would be the test of a false prophet, is that false prophecy proves a false prophet. Otherwise, you don't know until a prophecy is proven false. So since none of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints prophets have been stoned, that's pretty good evidence that they're true prophets. <laughs> Maybe more of a judgment on America's penal system, but uh, uh, it would tell you that um, nobody decided to stone them, but, you know, he was shot. Yeah, nobody must think they're a false prophet then. If they're a Bible-believing Christian and they think they're false, <laughs> they would be under... Harrison, compelled you, by we both know that Joseph God. Smith was persecuted. We know, I mean, you guys herald the fact yeah. that the Mormon Church is persecuted. Clearly, they were considered false church people, um, and so the the movement was run out of town. And Joseph Smith was murdered under the the um, auspices of that Levitical law. Do you disagree? Oh, you think so? You think he was murdered because he was a false prophet? Uh, yes, amongst trying to usurp the government and some other charges. Then why didn't they stone him? That's so interesting. Well, I don't believe well, they righteously killed him. They didn't even go through the courts. He was in, I'm not saying he was righteously killed. I'm just saying that's what they, that was their reasoning. I would simply say America's not Israel. Doesn't, doesn't that suffice? Well, no, so, because God's I mean, law is Because if the Bible's the final authority, then everything the Bible says is how we are to act and to govern our lives. And so America's not Israel. That is a problem because unless there's a modern prophet saying, here's how we interpret the Bible and how we're supposed to live these laws, that means shoot someone in a prison instead of stone them, a prophet would need to make that authority and his words then would be scripture. Correct? Well, no, I mean, it's up to, it's up to the, the Christian and what his conscience is and how he applies the law. Of course, there's a right way to apply the law. And I would agree with you that the right way to apply the law against Joseph Smith, if he was indeed a false prophet, was not to break into jail and shoot him. It would be to 
um, go through the court systems like anything else and have him have him go through capital punishment with two to three witnesses and all the rest that God's law demands. Okay, so your interpretation of the scriptures for the modern context is the final word of God. Uh, every time you hear something, and here's a problem with the entire pitch that you're thinking about giving. Every time you hear a prophet speak, you are interpreting that prophet. So if you think that you yeah. cannot know truth because you always have to interpret it, the prophet is not going to help you. When I read through Deuteronomy and it says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and I have to interpret, that means I should only worship one God. In the same way, if your prophet told you in person with words, thou shalt have no other gods before me, you equally have to interpret what that means. And you can ask Correct. him questions and he can clarify, and you still have to interpret his clarifications. So if you're going to go with the whole postmodernism thing and there is no truth, you can't because you'll eliminate your own truth. So yes. No. So the question becomes, is there sufficient information in the biblical texts? And when I read the biblical text, I still had a lot of questions. And I talked to other people that had studied the biblical text far more extensively than I had. And we had come to different conclusions. And so the function of a prophet, you're right, we still need to interpret his words. But the function of having a prophet is we have more information. That way it makes things clearer and more people can get on the right page. Whereas with the, just the Bible, it seems there's thousands of churches that believe in the Bible. And they all believe very different things about God and about how we're supposed to be saved, what we're supposed to do in this life. And so it's so important that we have more information. That's the conclusion I came to is I need more. And there was only so, one church on the earth that seemed to have that opportunity. And that was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It has more scripture so, as the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants. Just because someone wants something more doesn't mean it's right or necessary or sufficient. It could be overly sufficient. It could be false. It could be whatever. But it's just like our, it's anyone's feeling that they want more, right? Yes. And second, second Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says uh, that anyone can become mature, competent, capable, and complete through studying scripture alone. And they can receive guidance from the Holy Spirit, revelation from God, which they can check with already confirmed scripture. If I may. Okay. Um, so everything before Timothy is sufficient. Uh, sure. Sure thing. I would like to say, please, on the, the, yeah, the nomination right, parts that we have no problems. I'm speaking on behalf of Michael and Theodore. We would have no problem going to a Lutheran church, a Presbyterian church, Baptist, Pentecostal Assemblies of God, because the differences are so minor that what's the essential core, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and the triune nature of God, the <clears throat> baptism, we disagree on how it's done, but we don't disagree. You should baptize or you should not baptize people at all. We hold that those differences are so minor that we're not really that different. I would call them all Christians, brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. I would also say, excuse me if I'm losing my voice, that the Roman Catholic Church would have believed very similar things that we believe up to the year 1215, Eastern Orthodox up to 1620s, give or take, the Nestorian Church outside of the influence of any political institution up to their demise in the 1400s. I have read their documents. We pretty much agree on the essentials. So it's only very minor differences with other Protestants that exist. So we have no problem calling them brothers and sisters. It's really minor, the differences that we share. And furthermore, I might say that even the Mormon church has offshoots, like the Hedricites <clears throat> Community of Christ, the Reorganized Church, and 
fundamentalists, among others. And their big differences. And yeah. And maybe since there are like officially less denominations in Mormonism, that might cause more folks just to completely part ways with um, religion altogether. And obviously, one reason why like many Mormons won't like convert to Christianity after deconverting from Mormonism is because like you're brought up believing and uh, you're taught like all the time that the Bible is corrupt. So like Christ Christianity doesn't have. We are never taught that, that kind of authority. That the Bible is corrupt. What? No, the Bible is the word of God. Yeah. So uh, insofar as it's translated correctly. Yes, but Theodore, we wouldn't say it's okay to go to an offshoot. They're not our, you know, we wouldn't say, oh, right. yeah, those guys, because they reject the prophet. And so just like how you guys wouldn't go to a Catholic church or a Muslim church or a, or a mosque or a synagogue mm -hmm. or a right. Latter-day Saint mm -hmm. church, because all those have components of the Bible or a Jehovah's Witness, they all use the Bible, believe it to be scripture to some degree or another, right? Those examples weren't great, but. Those, even though they're all reading from the Bible, even though they, but the way that they're interpreting it is drastic enough that you no longer would consider them part of the fold. Is that correct? Yeah, but what all we're doing is pointing the exact same accusation you had against the Christian church back at the LDS church, because you said the Bible is not clear enough to interpret alone. And we would point right back at you and say, clearly the prophet's words are not clear enough to interpret alone because of all the offshoots of the LDS church. No, no, no. So that's. I wasn't saying the church says that. That was my own personal thing. As I was reading the Bible, I said, okay, I still am not 100% clear on exactly what I am to do. All of these different things. And so I said, is there anyone else that claims to have scripture that also accepts the Bible? Because I felt the Bible was true, but I didn't feel like it was complete. That God, I believe God had more to say in the past 1,800, 2,000 years since the Bible's been written. I don't believe that he would just stop talking to his children in that same authoritative scriptural way. It's hard for me to understand a God that would do that, that would say, hey, here's some texts written in languages nobody reads and understands or speaks. Uh, how how long do you think it was, Harrison, between Adam, first man, and Noah? What were you saying? Sorry. How, how long do you think it was between Adam, the first man, and Noah? I mean, it could have been 5,000 years. I mean, that's a big estimate, but yeah, some long amount of time, I would say like two to 3,000 years. Uh -huh. and, well, they um, lived to be like a thousand years old back then, apparently. Yes. So if that's the case, doesn't God have precedent for not writing scripture for about 3,000 years? Well, presumably God wrote scripture, right? Those There were prophets on the earth that were speaking his mind, his will, his power of God unto salvation. Well, it either I, wasn't written down not, or... Not every word of God is scripture. Scripture is preserved God's word. So if, we, if it wasn't preserved, it wasn't scripture. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, of course. Huh. I mean, the, the Bible says that there are, like John, the Gospel of John says there are many things that Jesus did and said that weren't written down. So God, Jesus, did and said things, but scripture is what okay. God has seen fit to preserve, right? So. It's... Okay, so... Yeah, I would say if there's a living prophet on the earth, there's no need for scripture. Because the living prophet can speak the will of the Lord to the people, and the people will then know how to follow God. That's the prophet's function. So if the, the prophet today, he tells us how we need to live our lives, how we need to come back to live with God again, 
how to access the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And the scripture is a supplement for that. It teaches us a lot about God's character, his attributes, how he's dealt with his children in the past. But it's not authoritative on us today because it's not written to us. Well, you've revealed your own heart about it, Harris. I don't even know if that's a Mormon position, but perhaps it is. Um, And that is that the Bible is superfluous. So if it were contrary to the prophet, you'd pick the prophet over the scripture. Mm, I mean, they're called the standard work. So, I mean, it's kind of a a moot point because the prophet will never say anything that contradicts the Bible or the Book of Mormon. So, but if it were to happen, I don't know, that would be a toss up for me. I would have to do some studying, some praying. Yeah, talk to the big man and see what, what I figure out. So, so you, I have a question. So you would agree oh, okay. that if if Scripture were to contradict the prophet, it would be a problem. Yeah, that would be a problem. Yeah. And would you also I mean, agree that if the prophet the were to give, yeah, if the prophet were to give false prophecy, it would be a problem. Oh if yeah, that would be false prophecy. Yeah. Okay. That'd be terrible. So if the fa- if uh, if the prophet were to give false prophecy, we would be able and definitively false prophecy, we'd be able to conclude that he was a false prophet, whoever he is, you know, not just the prophet of the LDS church, but also like other so-called prophets. Like, like Muhammad. Like Muhammad or um, um, Jesse Lee Peterson. I don't know. I'm thinking of some contemporary false prophets. Uh, Paula White. I don't know. People who, yeah, who speak presumptuously. Prophecy is a gift of the spirit, Michael. So sometimes people can have that gift and sometimes people can't. It's not like a permanent thing that it's always on. I wouldn't think. Why Would do you, you think, think Why do you think then Deuteronomy says that if a prophet speaks falsely, he is presumptive, like even one false prophecy makes somebody a false prophet according to the word of the Lord, according to scripture. Well, uh, Sebastian, you, are you the Hebrew scholar? No, please do not <laughs> He's the language stop guy. It. You need to stop it, Michael. <laughs> Greek, we not Hebrew. Hebrew scholar, yeah, Deuteronomy, right? It kind of goes back to my point. You know, it's written in a language that I don't read, that I don't speak. I don't know anyone that speaks that. And so in the English translation, it says, yes, that the prophet gives a false prophecy, then he's not a false he's not a true prophet and so luckily that's not a big deal for us as latter-day saints because our prophet doesn't give any false prophecies that makes things really convenient but yeah i can see that would be convenient yes uh should i just bring this one up it's just the when joseph smith prophesies that they're going to sell the like copyright in toronto and david whitmer quoted joseph uh, joseph smith saying some revelations are of god some revelations are of man some revelations are of the devil um, and that's what his response was when David Whitmer and the crew asked him, why didn't this prophecy come true? And Joseph Smith said that. So I'm thinking if Joseph Smith can't even discern beforehand his revelations or prophecies correctly, then how do we trust him? So you're using those interchangeably, revelation and prophecy, which we probably would not. What would you call prophecy okay. versus revelation? We would say all prophecies are revelation, not all revelations are prophecies. Yeah, well, what? So define, um, what is a revelation that is not a prophecy? Um, a revelation that's not a prophecy would be um, God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost are three distinct beings. It's not a prophecy. But, it's but it truth, is true. Right. It's revelation. Okay, so prophecy is like a prediction of the future and a revelation is just a truth? That's how you guys were kind of using it. it would you agree? I mean... I mean, do you think there's a distinction here? Or am I just kind of spewing uh, I, I would say that a prophecy implies that you're predicting yeah. the future and a revelation pretty just. Okay, because that's what I was making a distinction because you're saying like a false prophecy, right? Like a revelation mm-hmm. isn't really something that can be tested that way. 
I think, you know, like if right. Got, so we could take revelation out of that. So if Joseph Smith cannot discern his own prophecy beforehand, then how do we trust his future prophecies? No, he he didn't. He said some revelations are from the devil. That's what he said. He didn't say I've had. Any oh, OK, that's what you're getting at. In fact, there's another quote from Joe Smith where he says, like, I never said I was a perfect man. I've made lots of mistakes, but the revelations are perfect. So, and I've so, read the revelations. I think they're pretty amazing. Yeah. We pretty would say incredible. that revelation was a prophecy because he prophesied that revelation because it was him saying something was going to happen, but it did not happen. Well, I, I never met Joseph Smith. I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't the one that asked him to give me the copy. You know, like I don't know the circumstance of that. We don't have any canonized revelation of him saying, "Take this to Toronto." We don't have a canonized prophecy saying the prophecy of the, selling the copyright in Toronto. That's nowhere in our canon. So do you, so do you believe that he didn't that. prophesy that they were going to sell the copyright in Toronto? Is that your position? I have no idea what Joseph Smith prophesied <laughs> or not. There's some things I know that he prophesied, like the Civil War. He prophesied that drugs and alcohol and tobacco were bad for us. And I think that's true. I actually don't partake in any of those substances because I believe they're habit-forming. That's led me to leave, live a lot healthier life. So I encourage everyone, if they're you know, addicted to drugs at all, to kind of follow the word of wisdom. What about the hot chamomile tea? What? In the word of wisdom, you're supposed to not engage in like any hot drink, and that includes hot tea. Yeah. So herbal tea is okay. Herbal tea is okay. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know. I think matcha. Have you had matcha before? Of course. Isn't that green tea yeah. with caffeine? No, matcha is like. Oh, okay. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but I think that's okay as well. Anyways, that's kind of, you're kind of the tea expert. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're getting into yeah, the details. That's... He's good. I mean, you do see, this is all related, I think, Harrison and, and crew to, um, to the topic of the day, which is Sola Scriptura, because if you, you take authority outside of scripture, um, you end up opening yourself up to a lot of different opinions. Um, or do you disagree? Because there are a lot of opinions that prophets have given, and sometimes yeah, they so give an are different. An example. Other. So, well, Michael, scripture, which you're using scripture and Bible interchangeably, so I'm going to distinguish between that. The Bible would not exist without authority outside of scripture. The, but the Bible, it represents someone, the Lord. Would you disagree? The Bible is someone the Someone collected the all these texts and compiled them together into this anthology that we call the Bible. And those people had to have authority from God to do that. Otherwise... It can't be scripture. They did not. They, have didn't, to, they it, did not actually. It's like um, they didn't have authority to compile what was scripture and what wasn't. No, they did and not. And now the Bible is the final authority. They did. It was not an authority to compile scripture. The Lord created scripture, and people recognized it. That's why it took a while for all the churches to definitively point to. Okay, we all agree that this is the word of the Lord. It wasn't some authority granted by God to define what the Bible was, what the word of the Lord was. The Lord made scripture, and then people had to define it. Just like the Lord made Mount Sinai or Mount Everest, and people discovered eventually, oh, it's the tallest mountain in in the world, right? Mount Everest. So it was always the tallest mountain. It didn't. Nobody authoritatively needed to say Mount Everest is the tallest. It was by reality. So in the same way. The God spoke and inspired the scriptures, and it took the church a little bit to um, identify what he had already made. But it was no special authority by the church to define what the Bible was. Okay, so the Bible, which you are saying is 66 texts, and Catholics would say is 72. Until very recently. Yes. That's a recent position by the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church used to hold on to the smaller canon back before the Council of Trent. 
1545. So you're saying Catholics only use 66 texts, the Protestant Bible? Huh? Well, they used to. We're they saying, used to. Yes. Until oh, they changed that. Okay, so you're saying everyone used the 66, they then later added in six extra texts. Well, the majority just, of people. They recognize the Apocrypha scripture, yes. And anybody familiar with the topic knows. Mm -hmm. But so when we talk about this process, there was, right, you're saying the Council of Trent is this council of people deciding what is inspired of God. And what are the criteria for that selection? But the council is not authoritative. The council is not authoritative. And yet the product of the council, the Bible, is authoritative. The, the Bible is not a council. It's not a product of the council. It's a product of God. Yes. And he inspired the people of the council to create it. I'm confused how that the Bible, comes. first of all, just as a fact of history, the Bible already existed before any council you can point to. There were churches that carried the Bible before any council you can point to. And second of all, I don't point to the council of Nicaea or Chalcedon or Carthage or Trent, certainly not Trent, um, <laughs> and, to yeah. define what the Bible is. Like, the Bible is the Bible because it's what the Lord made. It's all in it. Name me another scripture besides the Book of Mormon stuff. Of course, we dispute that, but name me a prior to uh, Joseph Smith revealed scripture that is supposed to be scripture but isn't in the Bible, and I'll, you know, we'll debate on it. But um, one fun fact is, the one is that for the like the early church fathers, there are over nineteen thousand citations of the four Gospels. Yeah. So if we didn't even have the Bible, we could re. Uh, construct the basically the whole New Testament from just their right. citations, right? Of what's passed down, meaning just proving that it definitely existed before these early church councils. I'm not arguing that all the texts existed, but in the format that we have them, those 66, I people were carrying out all sorts of different canons. You know, we even see that with the yeah. Anyways, but and, I'm not you're, canonization. I'm not an expert on canonization, but my point is. If there wasn't any inspired people involved in that process, how did God create the Bible if he didn't inspire any human beings during that process, which is what you're saying, correct? Well, might I ask that you this? Yeah. Had authority. I'll point you back again, pre-Jesus, pre okay, in the Old Testament, the Jews oh, wow. were, were held to knowing what the true canon is. And we know that because Jesus says um, to, the, to the Sadducees who come up to him saying, we only believe the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, um, and we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Jesus says to them, um, you're foolish and you don't know the scriptures for it is written to you. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Therefore, he's the God of the living and not the dead. Um, anyways, Jesus holds the Sadducees to they should have believed all the scripture, but they did not. How were the Sadducees supposed to know what the true scripture was? Sadducees supposed to know what the true scripture was. Um, I don't know. Probably the living prophet, Jesus Christ, would tell them. <laughs> yes, but Jesus wasn't. A, prior to Jesus being around, even, they were supposed to have read the scriptures. Righteous Jews read the scriptures. Yes, so what Jesus is saying is, you should have known better before even I started talking to you. Yeah. And yes, therefore, and we would probably say that same thing. Because all through the Bible, there's a pattern of God calling prophets to preach his word. But and that name, pattern me, continues. name me the prophet Harrison that told the Jews what the canon was. That told the Jews what the canon was? Uh, that's not what I'm saying. Well, I, I will help you. There is no prophet that came and said, I speak for God. These are the, the 40 books of the Old Testament. There was none. The Jews recognized what prophetic books were true and which were not. And they laid them up in the temple. So all Jews, the 
knew their stuff, knew which books were considered authoritative, just like we do today. There was no official council. There was no authoritative prophet. There was no lightning bolt from the sky. It's the exact same way the New Testament canon was confirmed. Could I bring this like an example of the New Testament? Go ahead, uh, Theodore. Um, so do you think there was a prophet like after Jesus, immediately after Jesus, or like when did that fall apart? Or yes, was there one prophet? Yes, were... the Testament talks about like a church being founded on the foundation of prophets and apostles with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So we look at okay. Peter as an example of kind of that first prophet, first one given the keys of the kingdom to lead and guide the church. And then so eventually Judas Iscariot has a pretty horrible, gruesome death. And so they call Matthias in to replace him because they needed to keep that quorum of 12 apostles intact. Right. And so Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 21 to 26 kind of lays that out. And so when they're trying to choose the 12th or who would take Judas's place, um, not one of them has really authority that uh, selects anybody. But so it says they put forward two men who they discerned were qualified, and then they prayed but they, the very apostles of Jesus, did not even receive revelation or prophecy from God, much less, um, well, never mind. So, uh, conclusion, <laughs> they basically, they cast lots or drew lots, whichever way you translate that. And it, it, Matthias uh, became the 12th disciple. So I guess just what I'm saying is that they still voted they didn't really have like one prophet over them and they didn't receive revelation yeah. to I'm, even determine who would be i think that's daughter. a bold claim i think they prayed and maybe god told them cast lots and then god can control how the lots fall and then matthias was chosen i i don't know right you're kind of reading between the lines there this is kind of an interpretation thing but theodore what do you do with all the missing books that are referenced in the bible that we don't have Right. I think the Bible is more than enough. We don't need the Bible. I think we only need the a gospel or two or some of the Peter, some of the letters of Peter or Paul. I think that's it gets the gospel across. The gospel is pretty simple. And we have more than enough in the scripture, the canonized scripture that we have. Yes, to understand the gospel, we definitely have more than enough. But we don't have more than enough to understand God. I would say even now, with all the scripture I've read, I still don't well, understand God. Who can know the I mind of God, God except God himself? That's that scripture right there. Nobody can know the mind of God. I don't mean the mind of God. I mean enough to have a relationship with him. I That's the gospel. I need as much as I can possibly get from that God. A God that wants to know his children, that wants to live in a relationship with them, that he wants them to follow him and to pray to him. I think that you know all the Bible is a great resource for that. But when it comes to, specifically, we talk about covenants in our church, making promises with God that we're going to follow him, that we'll be called his people. I don't think that's clear enough yet. And it will continue to be clear as we have more prophets speak and teach. So it's going to be pretty amazing as these things unfold for the next couple of years. Well, this may be interesting because I'm, I'm curious, Harrison. You said that you had yeah, questions yeah. that the Bible wasn't answering. Do you have anything in mind for ex that you thought your Bible wasn't answering enough for you? Yeah. What's the proper way to baptize? Wait. 
can you tell me more but yeah, you mean because me because i think i could answer that but maybe you have something else in mind yeah i mean how old should they be who should do it does it matter who does it is it by immersion is it by sprinkling what are the words that need to be said okay okay the dedicate lay that out uh, and it There's lots of different though. places where things are laid out differently. Is baptism necessary for salvation? Is it essential? All of these things seem to not be very clear. Should we be baptizing dead people? All of these things are in the Bible, and I don't know. It doesn't seem very cohesive to me. And you believe this is that you require extra revelation to make this clear, or that you could piece it? Because you know what Christians have done for the past 1800 years prior to the LDS Church was hash out that exact question using the scriptures and come to conclusions. But you're saying you need additional confirmations. Yeah, so I don't believe Christians hashing things out is the proper way to receive revelation from God. I believe we should ask God, and I believe that he will tell us. That, well, that's exactly why Christians know. didn't just hash it out. They hashed it out pointing to God's word. Oh, okay. And that's why we call it the final authority, because I can say, you know, I can describe a system that works. For example, John Calvin, famous Protestant, um, like him a lot, like a lot of his writings, he's pro-infant baptism. I'm not. He argues from the scriptures, and I think he argues wrongly. So that's, we both point to the scriptures, he can, he can create a big story about infant baptism, um, but I can point to it and say that's not actually in the scriptures. That's a lot of like uh, philosophical talk, and so that's how we, that's how we should be arguing is from the scriptures because at least then we're pointing to a common ground. So God spoke to John Calvin and said infant baptism is correct. He, he no, 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 John Calvin. No, we can neither confirm nor deny. He might have. He might have not. Right, but <laughs> he didn't that's claim the thing it. Is like, if this is a big deal. If Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, was baptized, it must be a pretty big deal to us. That's kind of how we see it, right? Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is not it what that verse is talking about, but all right. But, I mean, this is, like, it seems like a lot of Christians are doing this, and the early church are doing this. It's been done for thousands of years. Baptism is very much tied to God and how we follow him. So it should be clear on how we do that and the function of it. And luckily, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it has been clarified. And now we understand the function well, I don't know, Harrison. I don't know if it has been clarified, because the prophet told me it's that clear. we should baptize the dead, but I don't know what that means, really. I'm kind of waiting on prophet number 18 um, to see if it really means what he thinks it means. Because I've heard Michael, there are prophets who sometimes renege on what previous prophets said. Because I, I was waiting on, on <laughs> I had like 16 black people lined up to be ordained as priests, and I had to wait till 1974, right? Well, that wouldn't be baptism. All of those people were baptized. But they weren't ordained as priests. So I was kind of right, hoping a future prophet would renege okay. on the, the moratorium. Oh, can I bring up a point here? I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm being rude, Harrison. I'm just saying these prophets aren't very good at clarifying things because they often change their minds. So in, in accordance with that, uh, Prophet Nelson is a recent thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would argue significant, significantly changed his mind in just three and a half years, because in November 2015, he labeled same-sex couples as clear as can be as apostates um, and forbade their children from the temple and baptism. But then in early 2019, due to back, well, I think due to backlash, um, Nelson recanted the policy um, essentially recanting Revelation, in my estimate, and removed the label of apostate and then allowed their children to be baptized. Yeah, that. so a policy from the church is not always But it revelation. deals with baptism. He forbade them to be baptized. 
Right. And so if you read about why that happened, um, it's pretty interesting. The prophet thought that he, well, he didn't want anyone to come to church, be baptized, and come to the church that teaches about the family proclamation to the world, about how proper families should be, or uh, nuclear, that there should be a mother and a father in the home. He didn't want these children to come and then to that be a wedge between them and their parents who are homosexual, who are not living the standards, the law of chastity, as it's described in our church. And so then after this backlash, presumably he went to the Lord or whatever. We don't believe the Lord necessarily needs to be involved in every single policy. It does need to be unanimous. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not obviously. It needs to be in accordance with the will of the Lord. Right. So, yeah, all of Scripture, I think, supports both of those policies. I don't think that contradicts any Scripture, either of those policies. So, conflict, so the Scripture both supports banning baptism and admitting baptism. I don't think it In supports, but it, it doesn't contradict it. There's no Scripture, I would say, that you could cite to say, oh, yeah, the children of homosexuals cannot be baptized, or a Scripture you could cite that say the children of homosexuals should be baptized. Do you know any verses like that? Well, I, w I would point to the prophet's previous statement that the children shouldn't be baptized as scripture if, it, if the prophet is authoritative, because you're saying that the words of the prophet are scripture, and he previously right. so said they should moment, not be baptized. Yeah, so if I am a member of the church, and I have a friend who wants to be baptized, and their parents are homosexual, my job is to follow the prophet and say no. But then as that policy changes, they can receive those blessings if they choose. Yeah, so, okay. We both agree, and maybe Sebastian can speak on this too. We both agree that we're under church authority. Like I've got elders at my church, right? That have authority over me, but it's not God's authority. And if they contradict what God's word clearly says, I have the power to override them. You know, they don't have authority over me more than God. So in the same way, if my church elder tells me that I should be, you know, stop spending so much money and I should get out of debt, Right? That's not a word of God for me from the Bible, but it is for my elder and he has authority over me. Um, but the prophet claims to speak for God. And by the way, this call is about to end because it gives us an hour. We might have to re-up. What? Um, no, we gotta go. Okay, well, my biggest stopping point then. Do you have a last word? I was going to say the Roman Catholics argue the exact same way that um, it is trustworthy and we should just follow it because... <laughs> <laughs> We're back. Um, you might have noticed we're not on our normal recording software we're on Google Meets, which I'm sure like threw up all sorts of weird signals. I'll have to edit this video a little bit. Um, abruptly ended, and they're like, "Hey, man, it's our bedtime. We got to go, anyways." Sebastian, you had a closing thought, and they won't get to react to it. But you want to oh, close out? Yes, and you know you're welcome to um, comment down in the comment yeah. section, please, what, what you might think about it. I was just surprised and disheartened a little bit because the Roman Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox, let's not forget them, they claim very similar things in which. We speak with from authority when we say it is from authority. And what happens if someone spoke in the past and was very off target from the will of God, like popes preaching heresy in the past? Oh, yeah, that guy didn't speak from the chair of Peter, even though he was pope ordained with authority and had full authority to speak and teach and lead the church. It was like, in many ways, Mormon, the Mormon prophet, and what we we're just talking about before the call sadly ended, was ban people from baptism. Oh, just kidding. Let them in and let them be baptized. Yeah. Those are two opposite statements. I understand the, the Mormon or Mormon friends were saying that the prophet may change his mind. 
the problem problem with that is because the man just said two opposite things in his life not even the next prophet to me that is that makes the, the man unreliable how can you trust that he's really speaking of god when he said two opposite things from one another within what four three years whatever right. it was and what we were trying to get to and did get to in that conversation was that if you just abdicate to the prophet because he's the prophet of god so called but in reality he's not listening to god you aren't judged as heavily as the false prophet is that's a principle from scripture that's talked about that the teacher is more um, culpable than the students mm-hmm. but the students aren't off the hook like the sadducees had teachers that taught them that they should only believe in the first five books of, of the bible which is wrong and i'm sure those teachers were punished more than the students but the students were still held accountable when, when they came to christ and said um, we only believe in the first five books of the bible and we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead they were still held accountable and we won't see them in heaven if they didn't repent right so just because you are following a teacher who says something does not save you from believing in a false thing either and you'll notice and, well go ahead dear and what's more even mormon uh prophets and apostles themselves have said that they will not even lead anyone astray and they've said this multiple times multiple more uh prophets and apostles and they've said it multiple times and that's bringing the line even lower than like they have the word of God. Yeah. It's saying they won't even lead anyone astray. So what do you do with that? All right. So I think in conclusion, the reason we fight for this ground so much, and we shouldn't lose the side of the main goal, the reason we fight so much on Sola Scriptura is if they see, if, if they agree with us in that the Bible is the sole authority for faith, like final authority on faith and practice and not the word of the prophets, the Bible clearly states The way to salvation is purely through grace and purely through Jesus Christ. It's not by works and it's not by participation in the modern LDS church. And it clearly teaches the triune nature of God. It does not teach three separate gods. It does not teach a council of gods or any of the other things um, that the Mormon church teaches. And it certainly doesn't teach eternal marriage or anything like that. Total opposite. So when we take scripture as final authority nowhere are these very important LDS doctrines and instead replaced are the actual gospel. And again, we didn't get to it in this episode. We have in previous Mormon discussions, and we do with these guys. These guys have already heard it. But when you're witnessing the Mormons in your life, remember that the key is not Sola Scriptura. The key is not necessarily the origin of prophecy, although it's close to this truth. It's that Jesus Christ died for all sins, period. There's no works to do to earn that salvation, and that you should trust on him alone, and that he is the God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all the same God, just three different persons. So if you worship a different Jesus who is not the God, if you worship a Jesus who's just a God amongst three or two or 50 million, um, he's not going to be able to save you, one. And two, if you trust on Jesus and your works, you will also not be saved. So the gospel is to trust in the true Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And that ground is found in the Bible, which is why we argue for the Bible. Uh, But you should always try to get back to that truth of the gospel. And we could, well, yeah, how much do you want to do? Do you want to do any more? Uh, I'll let you get some final. We didn't, we didn't close the final thoughts. I would have said if we were doing the episode um, with full time. I have more than just final thoughts, but <laughs> okay. if we just want to do final thoughts, that's fine. Give, give like a big final thought then. We'll do like one last round of thoughts. Oh, well, I had like a, some scriptures and more Mormon prophet examples. How about... Do you guys want to bring up some scriptures? 
Uh, or not. I, one classic one that I think is really hard to get around is the Shema Israel, which is Deuteronomy 6.4, which is just the call to Israel, which says, um, Yahweh, your Lord, hero Israel, Yahweh, your Lord, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is one. Um, so like that, that oneness of God is what forces the Trinity because we know that Jesus is God and that he has a father who is God. And the only reason... Um, they're not multiple gods is because we know that they are one God. I mean, it's described in First John, John elsewhere. Um, but the ultimate reason why is because such a core tenet of the truth of Judaism, of Christianity, is that Yahweh, God, is one. So when the Mormons say that he's not one, it directly contradicts like the core tenet of, of Judaism, the truth. And that is that Yahweh is one. Like that's that's the reasoning for the hashing out of what the Trinity means. It's because of the Shema. So I don't if they believe that scripture is uncorrupted, like Harrison was like, oh, corrupted? Never heard that one before. Um, then the Shema is uncorrupted, which it is, of course, because the Jews still talk about it today, mm-hmm. um, in that Yahweh is one. And eternal. Good point to Micah, how the Messiah would be from his origins are from eternity past right and you know mormons would point to that his soul was eternal but like his state of being is always progressing so he wasn't always like as godly as he is now Uh, but we would say he always was as godly like he was always god and he always will be god right and not for our age like but for his whole existence for the whole existence of the universe Mm -hmm. and yeah one of the most clear ones that I was thinking about is um, the contrast between Ephesians 2, verse 8, and then 2 Nephi 25, 23. Because mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, it is by grace you are uh, you are saved. 2 Nephi 25, 23 says, it is by grace you are saved. But then Ephesians 2, 8 says, through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But then 2 Nephi 25, 23 completely gets rid of that and says, after all we can do. Um, but then, obviously, we have... Things like Titus 3, 4 to 5, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Um, And then Romans 4 and 11, uh, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, not to the one who works, his, uh, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. And then uh, Romans 11, verse 6, but if his grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Right. So the very nature of, of Ephesians 2 saying, for by grace you have been saved through faith, grace insinuates that there was no earning of it at all, zero. Otherwise, it would cease being grace, as Romans 4 would say. Yeah. And interesting, some uh, <laughs> Mormons try to, like apologists, would say that, well, I guess, a lot of current Mormons say that everybody is saved, basically, but it's only the ones who work or who do well enough that are exalted into godhood, and obviously who marry a wife and get sealed and whatnot so that they can become their own gods and have their own planets. Um, but I mean, Second Nephi into... 25, 23 and other <laughs> right. verses in the Book of Mormon, they use the word saved. It is by grace that you are saved at all. After all, you can do, but nonetheless saved not exalted 
Right, and that just speaks to some Mormon changes over the years and Joseph Smith's own developing of concept of hell and then spirit prison and then kind of abandoning it these days, the universalism. But it speaks to our previous interview with Peter Hyatt and that if you believe that all are saved, you have to fight a whole bunch of other scriptures that talk about people not being saved. So um, their position is just wrong. Like the, the, the scriptures briefly speak about different levels of heaven, i.e. different like glories you receive in heaven. But that does not mean that the unsaved, like that everybody's saved. It doesn't mean that the lowest level of people that are saved are, are still in heaven. It means that there are some who are more faithful in life and they inherit more in heaven. It certainly says nothing about them becoming God or like God or anything like that. And then finally, um, there are many in hell, m multitudes in heaven. So I don't know if there'll be more in heaven or not, but there are many in hell. It's not like it's a small number. And so, you know, they're not in some level of glory. They're in a level of damnation. Sebastian, did you have any final thoughts? Just on a personal note to Elder Harrison on the baptism, I was like, uh, I'd be happy to point to any kind of resources because he said when, I mean, at least as we mentioned, that baptism was something that made him question about how complete is the Bible, how sufficient, even though that's what Second Second Timothy, right? Or First Timothy says, the Bible is sufficient. Sorry. I think it's First Timothy. Probably Second. Bible sufficient for all things. I mean, maybe it's second. I think you quoted it, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Second Timothy. Okay. Okay. Whatever. We know the scriptures. Scripture yes. <laughs> all scriptures God breathed. Uh -huh. That one. Profitable yeah. for teaching and. Yeah. Yes, and ultimately pointing how it is uh, sufficient. It is not second Timothy. Oh, I was okay. I was leaning in that direction. Thanks. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, pointing on how it's sufficient for to live a godly life. It's not going to answer every single question. Like Take, for example, Abraham. He didn't know that the Messiah was going to come in the way he did, mm -hmm. yet God credits him as faithful. So uh, you're, ne you're not supposed to have all your questions answered in this life. But on the note of baptism, I actually say that the church did um, hash this out, if you will, in this, in, with the spirit of honoring the word of God and honoring God. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as commanded by the Lord. And also in the Didache, you brought it up, Theodore, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it much. On, it was written 70 AD, 72 80 AD, more or less, give or take. So during the lifetime, for sure, of the Apostle John, while there's an apostle living in the earth. Mm -hmm. And there it specifies how baptism should be carried out. So it was clear from the beginning how it should be interpreted and it varied region by region but nonetheless the essence commanded by the lord is present in, in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit mm -hmm. it, it says if there's a river dunk the person in the river if there's no living water running water a river grab some drops if you're in the desert and you should fast ideally that tells you that it wasn't for kids because you tell me, Michael, how will Shepherd feel if he doesn't eat for two days before being baptized? Oh, you let me know how he will. He can go like two hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> fasting. Right. Yeah. And you have to be aware of a fast. I would say you have to be of some, you have need to have some mental capacity. So that was something I wanted to share, but that would have been too off topic. But I thought that there are many things that Christians have discussed over the, what, 2000, past 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. And mm, there are many answers that you can find. Yeah. I think also just general thoughts on the whole conversation. It was good. I thought we hit on a lot of good points. Uh, Harrison brought up good points. I think we, we defined things really well, um, got to the false prophecy topic, which is great to find scripture, I think pretty darn well. And you'll notice 
um, although they say they believe the Bible, their first attacks are always on, but did God really say? And then um, how can you understand what God really said? So they're always going after, how did you compile the Bible? Like just trying to throw a random doubt in there, which if, if they have some time, Harrison and Squad, if you have some time, reflect on that kind of attack against the Bible, that it's just a, it, it, it's not a definitive thing. It's just a doubt cloud, which is a, a terrible way to debate. I, it's not a good way to debate. It's a rude way to debate, actually. Not that you know that usually unless you're a debater, but um, just throwing out clouds of doubt is the way that like evil people debate. So don't do that. Um, you, need to, and, you need to have a positive or negative sorry. assertion. Don't just throw clouds of doubt. It's not a good faith way to debate. One obviously uh, obvious example is Satan tempting Jesus. Um, and Satan is basically offering Jesus extra knowledge, extra power, more of something. Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, no, the scripture says, or the scriptures say mm -hmm. this. So I will remain holding to this. Yep. Let me see in Genesis, when the serpent tempts Eve, it's, did God really say? Yeah. You gotta really say you'd surely die, right? Right. So I mean, all that to say, they attacked um, not particular scriptures specifically, although they could have just been their their tact. They say they're fellow Christians or whatever else, and they believe the Bible, but then they immediately throw the Bible's not really true, and then he guffawed. I mean, Harrison's just a kind of friendly guy, so he guffaws out any attack, but. Um, he guffawed when you said that you, Theodore, you suggested that they believe the scriptures corrupted, um, but they do. <laughs> it's like in a lot of their yes, apologetics. Every Mormon knows that. Yes. Yeah. So it's a classic one. Um, in any case, he guffawed at that, but then at the same time, he was throwing into doubt whether or not we even knew how the Bible was compiled and it was compiled by people who were given some sort of authority. Like he was going all over directions trying to throw doubt on, on the scriptures. Um, so I should tell you who's really a Christian and who's not, because if you're trying to debate whether or not um, the core tenet of Christianity, the Bible, is true, you're probably not a Christian. And that goes to all those secular humanist Christians out there who are like, the Bible's not really true and whatever else. Um, not, not Christians either. Um, or Anybody who questions biblical infallibility um, is, is playing with fire. All right, I'm preaching the fire. Um, That's we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, triune nature and being. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right is me. Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way over the airwaves, it's been our... Theodore, under the PC. And we gotta give credit to Theodore for the past two episodes, because he's been rounding up these homies, um, and he's doing the Lord's work. I, I've got a tentative yes on some collabs in the future, but uh, maybe Theodore can point it and we can get collabs with like Barack Obama or some other people that might really get some fame, because he's a rap. He's getting some big names. Um, We'll tell next time we talk about something completely different. Maybe a Sebastian topic. You know, we haven't done a Sebastian topic in a while. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about something cool. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.